Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And we're in the same room. It is unusual. I can smell you. Uh, I'm sorry about that. No, I, no, no. I think most of what I smell of is dog. It's mostly my dog, yes. yes. Um, it's a shame, really, but uh, there you go. Uh, if you're one of our patrons, this is your extended smell-free and ad-free version of this week's show. If you're not yet a patron but would like to get our ad-free extended versions or listen and interact with us live, head to patreon.com forward slash UK tech. Thank you to everybody who is supporting us there and supporting us, obviously, on our free feed by le- leaving us wonderful reviews. Now, we don't have any new patrons to announce uh, this month. We've just we just started, which is a bit of a shame. Sad face. Yes, it, it's but not I mean, re- I'm not surprised as we've been off, haven't we? Yes, we have been off. In fact, this is the first time you're back on the show since we resumed the new season. Yes, that's right, and it's February. It is, and we're doing it in person at my yeah. house on a Saturday night while Ian smells of dog. <laughs> um... But, uh, but anyway, thank you to everyone that is supporting us. Now, on last week's show, we talked about how 16 social media stars or influencers agreed to change how they post online. They said they will clearly state if they've been paid or received any gifts or loans of products that they endorse on social media. And it followed warnings from the Competition and Markets Authority that their posts could break consumer law. Now, I said... It seemed a bit weird to praise celebrities and influencers for agreeing to be honest about when they promote a product in exchange for money, even though it's the law that they have to. And after the show went out last week, we had a very insightful and knowledgeable email email from a listener, Charlotte Steggs, who shared a lot of light on the issue for us and what the media got right about the story and what a lot of people seem to miss when debating it. Rather than just read out her email... I invited her onto the show to discuss it with me, and she's joining us now. Hi, Charlotte. Uh, But before we jump in, can you just clarify for us how we actually describe an influencer? I guess it's someone who is using their social media channels in order to sell or promote something um, that is not something that they've created or, um, you know, it's, it's not a business of their own. Okay, so on last week's show, I said it seemed weird to be praising the celebrities and these influencers for agreeing to be honest about when they're promoting products in exchange for money, even though, as I said, it, they, they kind of have to. So was my criticism fair? I think it was fair in part. Um, so in general, yes, there's a law and we should follow these laws. Um, but actually, it's it's a law that doesn't get regulated quite as much so I, I i liken it to illegally downloading a movie or a film or something like that um it's something that a lot of people do even though it's illegal um and perhaps if your friend did it you wouldn't really judge them for it so i have friends um who are influencers and i guess at some point i i was one myself um and if i saw somebody not following those rules i wouldn't judge them by i wouldn't pull them up for it you know it's just a thing that happens what are the rules for when an influencer posts about something they've been paid to talk about the thing is nobody really knows everyone's just doing what they think is it 
it's their interpretation of what the laws are. So um, if you are given something or paid for something and the brand has um, said how they want for that thing to be, how it, how it should look, basically, then you should do hashtag ad. Um, if you are given something but are not uh, paid for it, you should always disclose that. Um, but you should also do hashtag spawn or hashtag sponsor. Um, and that's when the influencer decides the content, how it looks, you know, maybe it's free to use whatever wording you want. If you're not paid for it as well, um, it doesn't come under the committee of um, ad practice rules. So if you're not, if you are paid for it, the rules are stricter. If you're not paid for it, then basically, even if you don't follow the rules, um, nobody's going to care about it, which is why things aren't regulated. And she won't thank me for, for saying this, but I often use my mum as a benchmark for stuff like this, as she's a, a very switched on person, uses a fair bit of tech and social media. But I don't think seeing hashtag spawn would mean anything to her. Uh, but maybe people who grew up with social media uh, who are in their teens, maybe they would. And So do, do you think there's a generational issue uh, here that we need to think about? I know I think that's absolutely fair um, and actually so I work with young people one of my biggest challenges is that young people see what's going on 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 Instagram on Snapchat and stuff and they're taking it to be reality and it's a huge problem um, and I half of me thinks that you know these rules are really arbitrary and some of them are really annoying so these glasses that I have on my face they were given to me through my blog so if I have to tag every single po photo of myself on instagram and label it then that's going to be cumbersome and annoying and i might not do it i don't know but there's so recently or maybe before christmas there was an influencer who had a completely fabricated um post that the photo was she she it looked like she had like pancakes on the bed, but they were just folded over tortilla wraps. Um, and everything was just completely fabricated. But if you just scrolled through quickly, it looked like reality. And it's just like, you know, this is how I wake up every day. And that's really unhealthy for people to see, um, whether it's your mum, whether it's my students. Um, and I really think that there needs to be more clarification as to what is real and what is not real um, for mental health more than anything. Well, and that's a topic in its own right that I I definitely love to explore here sometime. Um, is it not fair to think that if a person has received something for free or even alongside a payment that they owe it to their audience to, to always be transparent about it? Yeah, absolutely. I think they, they owe it to the audience, but not only just using the hashtags as, as per the law, but also also in plain english say i was given this I, i'm paid to promote it or i'm i'm part of this brand or they're paying me on a long-term arrangement you should be really clear because um you know sometimes i mean it was very um your brother mentioned last week about how you only have things you only promote things that you actually like yourself there are so many people promoting things that they don't actually like just because they want to be seen to be a person who is able to promote things we need to be clear about these things it's not healthy finally then and you touched on this a bit earlier about who's regulating this or, or actually who's not regulating it and I don't, I don't feel there's an obvious place for a consumer to go to complain about something an influencer did or didn't do on Instagram, say. And I also wonder who an influencer goes to for advice or help if they're in hot water as a result of a paid promotion. I mean, what are the points of arbitration people can go to if if they're worried, if, if they even exist? 
the problems that is i'm sure the people exist i don't i mean there's the asa um the what is it the advertising standards agency so i mean you could go there but they themselves have said you know online that sometimes they're not able to help um and it's really hard to tell whether somebody has been paid for something or not or whether it's a free item or not so it's really hard to tell the difference yeah. there needs to be a place or a website where people can go to where they can get clear advice um whether you have spotted an influencer doing something that's not legal or um you know as an influencer you've accidentally broken a law and you want to correct it listener charlotte steggs there what a knowledgeable audience we have thank you very much charlotte awesome thanks nate let's dive into the news now um virgin media's owner liberty global will test how virgin's street cabinets fiber and subterranean duct network could be used to embed charging points for electric cars in residential streets this is according to an ft report this week the cabinets are already powered that's kind of a no-brainer i suppose but could be used the paper says to roll out thousands of charging points across the country the ft said that deutsche telecom has already tried uh, tapping in to its street furniture, as it's apparently termed, in Germany after announcing plans last year to convert about 12,000 of them into charging stations. And now Liberty Global is considering a similar move in Britain. Although, um, this, th- I think th- they're going to look at partnering with hardware companies who actually specialise in charging points rather than trying to just convert 40,000 cabinets. Um uh, the company expects apparently to have four to six trials running by Easter with the first launched in Southwark with a startup called Connected Curb. Love that name. That's, that's very smart. <laughs> this week. This seems like a smart a smart move. And in the Does era it? Well, yeah. I mean you've got these dumb boxes that sit in a yeah. street, there's power going into them, they don't do anything physical, and yet so why not? turn them into a charging point well i suppose it depends on how much power goes into the cabinets i don't actually know what what it takes to run them well en- I, enough to power a, to charge a well, car clearly but i would have thought you would have had more power in more places by using lamp posts well aren't lamp don't lamp posts use have some kind of solar i don't believe so i mean i mean there may be no I don't think no, so. No, I suppose they need batteries, wouldn't they? Well, they would need batteries. I and mean, that, again, isn't a huge issue, but I just don't believe that that's how it's done. Um, I mean, you're talking about a network of lights that's very, very old, really. I mean, uh, so I don't I don't see why you would... I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad move. Um, I just think you're going to have far fewer boxes than you are lampposts. And that makes me wonder, you know, what's going on? Why can't we have lampposts or whatever? But also, at the same time, it would very much depend on how conveniently sited the cabinets are. So are they at the end of roads? Are they in, you know, useful places to have a, a charging spot? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't hate the idea, but at the same time, I'm not completely sure it's the best way of doing it. Well, our, our old friend Robert Llewellyn, um, who's been on this show before now, uh, also known as Crichton, <laughs> Red Dwarf, of course, uh, he actually launched something last year. I've just been Googling this in real time, Ian. And in Kensington, there are on-street EV charging points that uh, that can that, that are from converted lampposts. I think that makes sense. So that, that has been done. At least there are 50 of them, according to uh, zap-map.com. Mm. You know, the, the, the... Those famous people. I mean, actually, I do know who they are because they think there is a, there aren't a very large number of electric charging point mapping companies and i assume that's one of them yes well, i think i may have looked at it before um because i think there might be a zap app 
Um, But yeah, I mean, again, it might be that there is a case for it in rural areas where there are perhaps not lampposts. I mean, there are not lampposts everywhere. So it may be that in some places that's a a good substitute. Or it may just be that councils are unwilling to deal with the hassle of converting lampposts into EV charging points. Uh, I mean, obviously, if if Liberty think there's a business case for this. True. This is, yeah, that's the difference. That's what it is, isn't it? It's not, it's not, you know, they're not being wonderful and thoughtful and loving they're just trying to make some extra cash but i don't think that's a real problem in a way because you've got you know isps have sort of they've become this this dumb pipe down which everything everything flows and they don't really want to be you know they want to be seen mm. as a as a service as a destination rather than just a, a conduit to another destination but now surely they're just a dumb electric pipe as a conduit from your car going from one place to another. Better that than than nothing. They're in the transit game. I suppose so. I think it's a smart move. I, I would support it. I mean, I don't drive. I don't own an electric car. and um, Or a car at all. I, or, well, we do own a car. Well, but... you you as a couple own a car. Yes. You my, do not own a car. It's my wife's car. Yes. Yes. Uh, but anyone who has any thoughts on this, you know what to do. Simply fire up um, the Netscape Navigator. <laughs> head over to hotmail.com and uh, and type in hello at techpodcast.uk. What, what's an even older email company than Hotmail? It's what Hotmail used to be called because it was founded in Israel before Microsoft bought it, and it was called something else. But there wasn't there was pre, there was prior email services that were there was e- Demon. I think that. Oh pre- no, that, no, no! I think Demon I Internet predated. No, I don't. Well, maybe maybe for a very small number of people. But I had Hotmail at university, and I had a, a university email account that you had to log into a s- cracking old s- terminal. Thing for it was a nightmare. Yeah, but that was the thing with Hotmail, wasn't it? It was the first web-based yeah. email. Like there were like everything prior to that. You had a pop exchange, a pop mm. server, and you had your client. Whereas Hotmail was the first time you could actually use it in the in the browser yeah. and in the I, cloud, as they'd call it now. Yeah, they uh, didn't call it that then. They did just on the internet. Do you know how? Do you know how much storage you had in Hotmail to begin with? No, two megabytes. Well, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, email was not big. Most of the time. I mean, it is now because everyone has email ruined everything. I, I like my emails text only. I don't even really want HTML. You should use the Bloomberg email client. Then I would love to. It's all text yeah, only, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, sounds brilliant. It is quite good. Yeah, it's efficient. You're not sending you know huge lumps of data out for no apparent reason, just to embed a bunch of GIFs. I may have been slightly incorrect. Apparently, this Hotmail was founded in 1996 in California. I had a, I, I, I thought it was founded in, um, in Israel. I, I didn't was... know the origin of it. Obviously, I remember Microsoft buying it, but I didn't remember much of it before then. But I was certainly have a, had an account from when was it founded? 96. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the year I got an account. My, I'm, I probably have a very early Hotmail. My, mine was 98. I know yeah. that. And I had petrol bomb without a B at hotmail.com. Which Does it I, still work? Oh, no. I've long since closed that. But I did find... This is bizarre because I didn't plan on talking about this, but I only this week found an archive of the very first thing I ever wrote on the internet. Ah. And it was a newsletter that I'd written in 1999. And one of the first things I talked about in that newsletter was broadband. Oh, right. And on that, I made a prediction about streaming TV, oh. which at the time I just completely made up. Right. Um. 
but actually turned out to be completely true about how the future <laughs> of streaming would be you could watch any TV channel anywhere in the world. Why don't you write an article? Why don't you write an article about that now? Twenty years hence. Yeah, that you predicted it. That would be a great article. I mean, I don't know if it's the sort of thing you could put on Bloomberg, but well, no. I mean, some of the other topics include here are the thirty things that I hate about Manchester. I mean, you don't have to include all of it. No. Oh. I mean, this is probably the biggest tangent we've ever taken. I know, in the but I'm I've been having a ball. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. If if this stays in the show, everyone, it's. <laughs> It's not it's, been a good it's week. It's because the news week is slow. It really has been incredibly slow. Well, you did say slow. as we came in, it's a slow news week. So we've talked about cream eggs and 14 meg broadband. This has honestly been the slowest news week. It's so, so slow in terms of UK news. I almost considered not doing a show. But it's only because I'm right here. We could literally have just talked about the cat, the dog, what we're going to have for dinner. Yeah, well, the cat's there, and the and I just had a notification from Just Eat that our dinner's on the way. Oh, excellent! So let's quickly talk about <laughs> another news story. But first, an audio sting. A web browser warning that said the Daily Mail's website failed to maintain, quote, basic standards of accuracy or accountability has been changed, the BBC wrote this week. The newspaper had complained that the NewsGuard plugin gave its Mail Online website a negative review. Now, I'd never heard of NewsGuard, but uh, apparently it's a browser plugin that rates news sources to help people weigh up whether a website's trustworthy or likely to publish fake news. Now, it now gives Mail Online a positive green shield after discussions with a Daily Mail executive, according to the BBC. Um, but the company said Mail Online still failed to gather and present information responsibly. Now, you know, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of of the Daily Mail. I respect the fact that it's the biggest you know news destination in the world. It's done very well um, in that. But and, and to be fair, the printed edition is extremely soft on the buttocks. But um, oh, Ian's showing me. Yeah, the plugin. So, um, well, I mean, I checked into this obviously because I thought it was quite funny at the time. Yeah, um, still and is. it's it's still not getting uh, green ticks for everything. It's uh, it has now. They have now accepted that it does not repeatedly publish false content. Well, I mm-hmm. mean, you could argue about that. Uh, gathers and presents information responsibly is a big fail, uh, and so too is handles the difference between news and opinion responsibly. Now, I do think that's a very fair point. Um, which, and I, I'm actually quite into this NewsGuard idea. Because and this is on very... iOS, I've just noticed. So yes, you have it's Edge on iOS. Edge is on iOS? Yes, I don't know why. I only installed it to, to look at this. Oh, okay. But, yeah. well, so, what, so what does the mail, according to this, do well? Um, it apparently regularly corrects or clarifies errors, which, I mean, I suppose, potentially, you do see the mm-hmm. occasional one. Avoids deceptive headlines. We could probably disprove that in about three seconds, couldn't we? I depend because I think they use, you know newspapers are very good about putting certain things in inverted commas, which separates the paper from editorially claiming something is yes. true, and what it's actually doing is reporting that someone else said that's it is. A, yes, I mean, but that's an endless cycle of. Um, I noticed your dog will sometimes wag his tail and, and then get excited and run, you know, and, that, and this is like the thing. It's like you know, it's like a dog running around chasing its tail. There's someone will say something that isn't true, yes. and then everyone else will report it like it is true, but mm. with it in quotes. Do you see what I mean? So oh, it's like a yes. dog chasing its tail perpetually. I mean, the media industry does that a lot. I mean, that happened this week. Well, the when... newspaper industry does. I don't think you... I mean, I, no, I have a lot more faith in broadcast journalism than I do in, you know, print journalism. Mm, yes. Like, especially in the particular group of papers that... <laughs> well, th- before we get on, on another <laughs> tangent, um, the reason I, I, I thought this was interesting and worth talking about is because despite our views of, you know, certain outlets and, and whether or not we like them or not... 
I, I questioned whether or not it was the place for a browser plugin to offer editorial judgment. Like I get security yes. and I think that's a good one, you know, if because you can you can objectively tell, I would say much more to a much greater extent whether a website is secure, you know, is it using https, is it trying to load something in the background, is it trying to connect to plugins, you know, we've seen that with yeah. the the LinkedIn example and and um and and, and some of the uh, blocks that it put in place there. But, you know, a plugin to say we think this site has fake news, you know, I'm not that could be I feels like that could be abused. Well, it could be abused. And, and you know, th- um, this week we saw Snopes pull out of the fact checking yeah. service with Facebook because th- and there's, just, as well, I there's, t- there's too there's too much for them to police. Um and so I, I just I questioned whether it was a plugin or a browser's place to try and say, well, we think that editorially this doesn't meet certain standards. But no, then... I think it's I think it's absolutely right, and I, mm. I I actually quite like it. It's not stopping people from seeing the site particularly. Um, I quite I quite like the fact that it's um, it's I, I feel like the, what the, the judgments they're making on it are good mm-hmm. because if you look at what they're saying, they're saying that um, does it disclose ownership of the paper, which they do, you know, does it um, correct errors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I, I think that those are things that you can relatively easily say with certainty, um, and I think that I think that's absolutely fine, and I think that um, w- I think the internet would be a lot better of a place for news if there was someone who wasn't involved in news able to say that yes actually this site is bad because etc you know and we all know about breitbart mm-hmm. but you know do do the public know about that in the same way and i know facebook's trying to do similar things with uh, if you go on facebook now uh, you know and check a, a news news link it will tell you about the site I mean, it's not great information to be honest it seems like it's just been scraped from wikipedia it doesn't really tell you anything useful mm. but it doesn't i think w- companies like this could be really good like facebook could say we have received um, X number of complaints about content on this site, uh, which means that it falls within this percentage of reliability on our platform. That could be quite useful for people to say, actually, a lot of people aren't buying this. They're saying it's, you know, and I mean, okay, you can game anything. But I'd like that more if that, if that, if if those metrics were ba- built into a plugin. So if actually everyone standardizes and, and unifies around a same third party independent system for flagging stuff as fake, and then that that white that that whitelist or that blacklist is then shared with all other publications like they yeah. do to prevent child sex abuse spreading there's yeah. like a database of hashes that a lot of different sites use maybe you could do something similar but well, um, yes and i definitely think we need to do something because i think about this all the time because you you what you're ending what we're ended up with is a position where people don't trust the news and that's dangerous. We need to be able to trust what newspapers are saying to us, and we or, or online news, and we need to be able to be sort of confident about that. And it's not happening. And uh, but a lot of what we do is good. You know, we're not we're not slacking off as journalists. We're still trying very hard to represent the truth. Mm. It's just that people have stopped believing us because certain presidents keep saying fake news every yeah. literally every tweet. Yeah, I mean. It's not literally every tweet. That in itself would count as fake news. <laughs> I'm fake news. You are you are essentially uh, supporting his argument. I am, but this is also. I mean, how do you? How would you feel about someone judging this podcast? Because obviously, a podcast is opinion and truth, right? Oh. That we we start with a, a, a what we've gleaned from the internet about as truth, hmm. and then we go and spurt our opinion all over it. Yeah. Um, 
but but we're pretty upfront about that. Well, no, we are, and I think I think people understand that, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone thinks that my opinion is gospel. If you think Ian's opinion <laughs> is gospel, let us know in the form of an email. Just fire up your AOL client and type in <laughs> that keywords. was the first email. CompuServe and AOL. CompuServe. I had a CompuServe. I did not. Let's not do this again, mate. We've, we've filled this uh, <laughs> void of quality news with enough chit-chat. Um, but uh, but seriously, do fire up your Yahoo client and type in hello at techpodcast.uk and let us know your opinion. Is Ian Morris's word gospel? Let us know, people. You're used to hearing the smooth, velvet sound of Nate's voice drizzled over your ears like a warm eardrum syrup. Topped off with the freshly squeezed citrus tang of an Ian Morris opinion. Supporters of the show at patreon.com forward slash UK tech enjoy second helpings every week. So pull up a chair, find your nearest spoon, and tuck into a sumptuous extra helping with no commitment. If you have any allergies, please inform a waiter. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Not because Ian and I have a curry that's about to be delivered, but because it was a slow news week and we've exhausted even the <laughs> moderate amount of uh, content that we were able to fit into this week's show. So it has been a little bit of a different one, but hopefully uh, you've enjoyed it nonetheless. Thank you, of course, to our patrons supporting us every week. If you're not a patron, obviously you would can you can give us a try and we'd love you to. Patreon.com forward slash UK Tech. This week, actually, we had a, an extreme well, I think it was extremely interesting uh, conversation about Babylon, the mobile health app. I had my first experience of using um, a remote GP service and prescriptions and things. And we, we talked through the experience and the ins and outs, uh, not literally, um, of uh, of what that was like. That's on the, the feed now on, on Patreon if you wish to listen to that. And uh, yes. Ian. You painted yourself into a corner there, didn't you, with the ending of that? Indeed. From me, a hungry Nate Langson. And me, a hungry Ian Morris. We're going for a... What did I order? A curry of some kind. What did I order now? Oh, it was a chicken masala. Yes, it was. We'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.